0: Trinity, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 22, and we are going to start with verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, the scripture will be up on the screen, and we are reading from the New International Version of Scripture. Genesis 22, starting with verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his own own son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Will you join me in prayer? Holy God, We are here today gathered as your people called Trinity. We have come to this place to worship you and you alone. Father, sometimes the things we read in scripture, sometimes the things we see in the world around us seem challenging. But we trust in your faithfulness, in your love, in your mercy and your grace. Father, may the words of our mouths, the thoughts of our mind, the attitudes of our hearts honor and glorify you this morning. And Father, may the words that come from my mouth run through the Holy Spirit and into the hearts gathered here this morning so that in everything your name is lifted high above the name of all other gods. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So today we have a new question before us. This is a question you may have heard of before. The question goes like this. Aren't there just many different paths up the same mountain? Has anyone heard this question? Okay, a few nodding the head. So here's what this question actually means. Don't all the different religions in this world ultimately lead us to the same destination? Aren't we all just worshiping the same God in different ways? Now, uh, some of you this morning hear that and go, no, of course not. Cool. But many people, including some Christians and maybe some of us here this morning, hear that question and we think, well, yeah, probably. Look, no matter what your opinion is, it's an important question to wrestle with because we live in a region and in a world full of many different religions and belief systems and worldviews. I want you to be clear on something. This morning, as we work to answer this question, I am not answering this question from a comparative world religion uh, perspective. I'm not going to take a long, hard look at all these different religions out there and see how they compare to Christianity. We're not gonna talk about how Christianity measures up. We are here to worship the one true living God. And so this morning, we are going to focus primarily on the God we serve, who he is, and how we worship him. Okay, but before we jump into the question, I want us to think for a few minutes about mountains. The question is, aren't there many different paths up the same mountain? So mountains and hills are mentioned a lot in the Bible. Any guesses about how many times mountains and hills might be mentioned? Just throw out a number. 500. Who, who said that? Did Jerry said 500? Jerry's right. <laughs> good job, good guess, good guess. Well done. Uh, and this makes sense, right? Because if you live near hills or mountains, these are significant places. They're sometimes a little scary. They're also glorious and beautiful. So there are many ways that mountains and hills work in Scripture, just like they do in our lives today. Um, Mountains and hills can divide geographic regions, and a lot of times, we as people, when there's a divide in a geographic region, we use that as a division of nations, You can think about Ohio and West Virginia. We've got a river, makes a really nice border for a state, right? Mountains and hills themselves though are not really hospitable to living. You don't see tons of people in general living on mountains or even up on hilltops. They tend to be places of isolation. They're hard to get up, And depending on how things are going, they're hard to get down. In the Bible, as we look at mountains, we read about fugitives taking refuge there, people fleeing there for safety. Mountains are also places where armies can gather and they can plan or carry out an ambush. They aren't places that are necessarily safe. Mountains and hills are not places that are necessarily inviting and they sure aren't always hospitable. Okay, I'm gonna switch gears for a second. Hold on with me, right? Has everyone seen the painting that depicts Jesus standing there and there's this beautiful garden and there's a door and I think Jesus is holding a lamb and he's getting ready to knock on the door? Do you all know what I'm talking about? All right, what's that door to? Your heart, right. That's a visual representation of how we think about encountering God today in our hearts. We encounter God in our homes. We encounter God together in our church. Today, when we think about encountering God, we tend to think about those encounters being in places of comfort and relative safety, places that are quiet and secure. But that is not how this worked in the ancient world. In the Bible, people often met God on a mountain in a place that was not known for ease or security or safety. And think about it, right? Moses encountered a burning bush up on a mountain. God delivered the law through Moses to his people from a mountain. Jesus preached on a mountain, and he went out to the mountains to pray. Jesus died on a hill. Look, as disciples, we do believe that God meets us wherever we are. Our front porch, our backyard, our bedrooms, in our homes, in our church, and in our hearts. We also know that God is a God of strength and holiness and power and might. God is the God of the wilderness. And honestly, God does some of his best work in places that reflect those attributes, on the mountains and the hills. So let's think now about the mountain that Abraham goes to in Genesis 22. Before this story, God had made a covenant with Abraham. Now, this covenant, it's important to know, had a part that Abraham agreed to uphold and had a part that God agreed to uphold, right? God told Abraham that he would bless him and all of his descendants, that Abraham would have a son, that Abraham would have land. And that the government or the covenant that God makes with Abraham would be extended throughout generations. Now, if you know anything about Abraham's relationship to God before Genesis chapter 22, uh, it helps you understand what's happening in this verse or in these verses. Um, Abraham, while the father of our faith, one of many, wasn't always faithful to God. God said, "Go to this city, take your wife with you." Abraham goes into the city and tells people his wife is a sister to protect her, not which is a bad idea. Don't do that. And not just once, you would think he'd learn, but twice, right? Abraham was not perfectly faithful to God. But we see that God is always. Without fail, faithful to Abraham. And because of that, before Abraham is called up the mountain with Isaac, Abraham has is learned to trust God. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us how Abraham felt about God's commandment to sacrifice Isaac. But what is clear in scripture is that Abraham was confident in God's goodness and he believed in the promise that God had made. It's clear, right? Before going to the mountain, uh, Abraham is with his two servants, and he says to them, all right, you, you wait here with the donkey. Isaac and I are going to go up this mountain and worship God, and we're going to come back. Going up the mountain, Isaac says, Dad, wh- we've got the fire, we've got the wood, we've got the knife, Where's the animal? And Abraham says, God's going to provide. In this moment, where Abraham was ready to give back to God the son that God had promised him, we see that God has tested Abraham, and now, in the moment that matters most, God finds Abraham faithful and obedient. And in the end, God did exactly what Abraham expected of him. Isaac's life was spared. It was returned to Abraham, and God provided the sacrifice. Anytime God calls us to the mountain, to the test, The difficult place. The call may feel unsettling or scary, but this call is a call to remember that God is faithful. God is trustworthy. His promises never change, and His desire to know us and for us to know Him teaches us that He is trustworthy that he is the only God worthy of worship. He is the God who sees us, who sees our needs, and provides for us. So Trinity, back to our question. Don't all the different paths just lead up the same mountain? Don't we all who worship God really actually worship one God? So not just in the Christian tradition, but in many religious traditions, in lots of ancient scripture, ancient literature. Uh, Two things happen when God calls to someone from the mountain, okay? The first thing that happens is that the God reveals themselves to the people, right? And we see this in God calling Abraham to the mountain. God reveals Himself as faithful, as fulfilling His covenant, as loving and as provider. Makes sense. So that's the first thing that happens on a mountain, and the second thing that happens uh, in response to the revelation of God, the people worship God, and we see that with I, with uh, Abraham and Isaac. God provides the sacrifice, and so together they worship God in the way that God has commanded them to do. So if we're trying to figure out whether or not all religions ultimately worship the same God, the starting point is looking at how God has been revealed within a religion, right? So if we're worshiping the same God, we would expect a religion to say that God is faithful, that God is loving, that God is provider. Everyone with me? All right. Our second scripture today comes from the book of Psalm. I invite you to turn to Psalm 32. Because in all of scripture, both the Old Testament and the New, we see God revealed. And this is one of my most favorite scriptures telling us about who God is and who we are. Blessed is the one whose, transition, whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me, You forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by the bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you, who are upright in heart. So according to Scripture, the fullness of Scripture, God is revealed through um, the people of Israel and God is revealed in fullness in the person of Christ Jesus. We see that God is forgiving, protecting, delivering, loving, wise, and he is with his people, active in their lives. We are forgiven of sin. We're surrounded by God's deliverance. I love that scripture where it talks about being surrounded by the songs of deliverance. We rejoice in the Lord God, trust him, and worship him. All right, so as far as I can tell, there are two primary religions practiced in Grove City and in the immediate surrounding communities. The the two most widely practiced religions here are the same two most widely practiced religions in the world. The first is Christianity. Does anyone know the second? Islam. Islam, yes. So let me tell you real quick what I mean when I say a religion. A religion is a practice of worship, and it's based upon scripture or some divine revelation with a tradition, and that is an organized tradition, right? So most religions in the world fall into one of two major categories. We have the Abrahamic traditions, right? That includes Christianity and Judaism and Islam. And then we have Indian-based religions. And I use that word, Indian, uh, loosely for Eastern religions, which are not quite as organized, but still have tradition. And those are religions like Hinduism and Buddhism and Sikhism. So Christianity is the most widely practiced. And when I say Christianity, I mean Roman Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Protestant, Anglican. The whole gamut, right? Including us. And Islam is the second most widely practiced religion. Now, if you happen to live or work in the west side of Grove City, you encounter Muslim people daily. Anyone anyone over on the west side? I can't go to the grocery store without encountering neighbors who are Muslims. They practice the Islamic faith. Now, because of some historic events, and because most Americans are not Muslim, there are a lot of misconceptions about Islam. Now, hang on with me here, okay? I'm not an expert on Islam, clearly. I am not Muslim, I have not studied the Islamic faith, so the information I am sharing with you is the best information that I can find, right? So questions that interest me the most about Islam. Do Muslims worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And how can we live peaceably together? Now, the second question, how can we live at peace with each other, requires way more time than the first, and we can't even begin to possibly address it today other than to say that God tells us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, and God did not put a qualifier on that word neighbor. Our rich neighbor, our poor neighbor, our black neighbor, our Muslim neighbor, our Hindu neighbor, our our atheist neighbor. No qualification, OK? OK. So uh, I'm going to give you a crash course in Islam. I'm going to use my note cards because I don't want to mess up. Right? Ready? You ready? Who he loves, he loves learning about other religions? Come on, it's cool. Okay, all right, so Islam was founded in the city of Mecca, which is in modern-day Saudi Arabia in the 7th century by Muhammad, who Muslims refer to as a prophet. He lived from 570 to 632 AD, right? So after the time of Jesus. Muslims believe Muhammad was the final prophet of God. God's teachings to Muhammad are recorded in the Quran, which is the scripture of the Islamic faith. Now, there are two primary traditions in Islam. Just like there are different types of Christians, not all Muslims have the same tradition. There is the Sunni and the Shia. Sunnis are the overwhelming majority with about 80%. The Shia account for about 15%. And then like Protestants, the remaining Muslims are of varying traditions. The Quran is written in the Arabic language. Now, there are some English translations of the Quran, but Muslims either already speak Arabic or they learn Arabic because unlike us, They believe that to fully understand the revelation brought to them by Muhammad, they have to read it in the original language. Brothers and sisters, you do not have to know Greek or Hebrew to read the scripture, and I'll tell you, having studied a little bit of both, amen, hallelujah, praise God. But this is something where we differ from our Muslim brothers and sisters they will learn the scripture in Arabic. So know that any time that I quote the Quran over the next several minutes, it's not not scripture as our Muslim neighbors would fully understand or receive it. All right, so there's your crash course on Islam. You're welcome. Uh, We read Genesis 1 through 14, and now we've read Psalm 32. Those two scriptures have been our starting point for determining what the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is like. So does Islam teach that Allah, which is just the Arabic word for God, does Islam teach that God is like the God revealed in the Hebrew and the Christian scripture? Well, yes, yes. And no. So when you read an English translation of the Quran, you quickly see that Muslims teach that all of the prophets in the Hebrew scripture and in the Christian scripture are from God. They have different names, but they recognize them as prophets. And you begin to see all these other descriptions of God, and some of them are beautiful. God is all-knowing, all-hearing, most merciful, ever-gracious, most capable, creator, the one who is accepting of repentance, the most compassionate, the all-forgiving, the almighty, the all-wise. One translation says, Surely Allah loves those who are constantly constantly repentant and loves those who purify themselves. The goal of a Muslim is to live a life in keeping with God's teachings, as spoken to and communicated through Muhammad. And that's their goal because on the day of judgment, they hope to enter into paradise. All right, so that's the yes. There are some similarities between what our Muslim neighbors believe about God and what we believe about God. But there are two really important differences. So the first important difference is that Allah, in the Islam faith, is the God of Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, and Jacob. Who is Ishmael? Abraham's son. Abraham's... son. Yeah, so Ishmael, so God says, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Abraham's like, I'm really old. And then God tells Sarah, Abraham's wife, hey, you're going to have a kid. And she's like, are you kidding me? And Abraham and Sarah get together, and they talk about this, and they're like, look, we're too old for this. God, maybe God meant, Abraham, that, that you're going to have a son, uh, but maybe it's, it's not with me, Sarah. So Sarah gives her servant, Hagar, to Abraham as a wife, and Abraham and Hagar uh, have Ishmael. And in case you're wondering, two wives in a family, especially when one cannot have children and one can, is just a setup for all sorts of drama. So Sarah and Hagar um, have a falling out. Sarah treats her very poorly and sends her away. Now the truth is that God comes to Hagar and promises to be with her and her son. God did not abandon them. But the other truth is, is that Ishmael is not the child that God promised Abraham. God promised Abraham a son, and, God, and Abraham and Sarah had a son and named him Isaac. So when we Christians say that this is the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we mean that the blessings of God have flown. From the covenant with Abraham through his son Isaac and Jacob, who later becomes known as Israel. So that's a big, important difference, brothers and sisters. We do not trace the promises of God back through Ishmael. But here's the other one one of the teachings of Islam is that we are to be mindful of the day of judgment. Okay, I'm on board here, right? Because on that day, we are going to be returned to God. And on that day, Muslims believe that every soul is going to be paid in full for what it has done and that God will judge justly. God, according to the Islamic faith, wants Muslims to show their love and devotion to him by living according to what his prophets taught. And Allah, in the Muslim language, in the Arabic language, who is merciful and compassionate and forgiving, will judge souls by what they have done. There is a lot of overlap between what our Muslims neighbor, Muslim neighbors believe and what we believe. But this is where I have to look at the two religions and say, I am not sure that we are, mm, no, Lord have mercy. I don't think we worship the same God. The covenant God made with Abraham was a covenant also made with Abraham's descendants. That's why our God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is lasting. Even when Abraham was unfaithful, including the time he had a son by Hagar, God remained faithful. God absolutely is all-knowing, all-hearing, most merciful and ever-gracious. And Islam attributes 99 divine names to God that describe his character. And according to the most reliable English translations that I could find, faithful and loving are not among them. It is not God's job to be faithful to us. It is our job to be faithful to him. That is one of the basics of the Islamic faith. Redeemer of souls is not among the 99 names. And for us, for us Christians, this covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our source of hope. God is faithful to his covenant. Even when our love fails, even when we turn away, God's love remains steadfast because God doesn't only love us as an action, God is love. And rather than see Isaac, the firstborn of Abraham, die, rather than see the people Israel wiped out, rather than let his created beings, we humans, be utterly lost and destroyed, God redeems his people and provides the sacrifice. And we see this ultimately in its fullness on a hill called Calvary when Jesus Christ, Son of God, revealed the full depth of God's love and the faithfulness of God in his crucifixion. This is not a popular opinion today, but if the God you worship is not revealed as a redeemer, As faithful, we're not worshiping the same God. I don't like saying that. It doesn't feel good. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel because this is God's power to salvation for everyone, beginning with the Jew and then to the Gentile. Trinity, we worship a God who loves us deeply and who has made, who has created the sacrifice for us, who is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. Amen. All right, Trinity. This is it. All right? So if you're a little uncomfortable in your pew... I'm going to invite you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand up. Okay, none of you are standing. God is good. And all the time. That was your opportunity to stand up. But we're not going to be here a whole lot longer, okay? All right, so two things happen on a mountain. God is revealed and the people worship God, right? Okay. Worship is central to the relationship between God and people. Throughout history, God and humans, throughout this history, there have been many, 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 many different ways to worship. So we're going to talk about ways that another belief system practices worship after we read our scripture. Our final scripture this morning comes from the book of John, the Gospel of John, verse 14. These are the words of Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen. Him. All right. So uh, I'm really nervous about this part of our time together this morning because um, this that we're, what we're going to talk about, this belief system, isn't something that's out there, right? Like, Islam is easy because it's out there, right? We are not Muslim. We are Christian. But this particular belief system is so strong within our community and across our nation that it is also in our churches. I'm gonna use my note cards again so I don't mess this up. So in 2018, the Pew Research Center did a survey about New Age beliefs in the American population. And they looked specifically at four New Age beliefs, ready? Belief in reincarnation, which means you are born again and again and again and again until something goes right, and then you're not reborn. Astrology, horoscopes, what sign were you born under? Physics, or I'm not, not physics, we all better believe in physics, daggone it. Psychics, there we go. And the presence of a spiritual energy in things like mountain and trees. All right. So when the Pew Research Center did their survey, uh, about six out of 10 American adults held at least one of these beliefs. Now, beliefs in in psychics and that spiritual energy is found in uh, physical objects were really the most common. But here's where I found their research a little more than a little troubling. 47% of evangelical Protestants. And when I say that, I am not talking about a political movement, brothers and sisters. I am talking about Christians who believe that it is our responsibility to share the gospel with the world. So guess what? That's us. 47% of adults who are evangelical Protestants hold one or more of these beliefs. And then if you kind of back out and look at Christianity in general, it's even worse. As of 2018, six in ten Christians held at least one New Age belief. Reincarnation, astrology, psychics, or this idea that there is spiritual energy in physical objects. Now, it is really hard to not hold one of these beliefs because we are surrounded by this stuff. Right? Like horoscopes and palm readings and past lives and tarot cards and Ouija boards and crystals and the movement of energy through your body as you practice yoga. Mantras manifesting your reality, seeing the divine in all things. The reality is that these new age beliefs are a great outlet for giving us the things that most of us want. Most of us want to be connected with something that's bigger than ourselves. Most of us want to know our future or our destiny. And when we're being honest, most of us would like to also control that future or destiny, right? And honestly, I'll confess to you that some of the New Age stuff seems kind of fun and entertaining, Uh, where I grew up and um, was married and began raising my children in southeast Ohio, there are a lot of pagans and Wiccans. When I say Wiccans, I mean they call themselves witches and there are druids and warlocks. I'm not kidding. And these people that I know that practice this are really cool people. They're so in tune with nature, and they seem so loving and open-minded and accepting. So what does all this have to do with worship? So when it all boils down to it, as far as I can tell, from the minimum amount that I'm willing to read about New Age stuff, because I don't need that temptation, New-age beliefs ultimately put two things in the center of your life, and the thing that is in the center of your life is the thing that you worship. Yourself and creation. In new-age beliefs and pagan and Wiccan and all of these, clearly not Christian belief systems. Creation becomes a part of God. And your ultimate purpose is self-fulfillment or self-actualization. Has have most of you heard that term, self-actualization? Makes sense. Becoming your best self. But for Christians, uh, worship is about one thing and one thing only, and it is this: Jesus is Lord. That's it. Jesus is Lord. And as far as I can tell, and if I'm wrong, I would love to know it. No palm reading, no Ouija board, no star sign, no divine energy in the mountain has ever told someone, hey, Jesus I mean, the idea of reincarnation, even though it is not that popular among Americans, it doesn't even bring someone remotely close to the good news that sins can be forgiven, that people can be transformed by grace, and that God is king and Jesus is Lord. I just want to see one movie where kids pull out a Ouija board and it tells them Jesus is Lord. That's all I'm asking, but I'm not going to see it. All of these things... All of these beliefs are expressly, undeniably forbidden to God's people because they put the self and the creation at the center instead of the creator. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is Lord, and this is good news because when I am Lord, I mess up. My life is not about me. Jesus is Lord. I am not. I don't need to worry about my future or my destiny because Jesus is Lord, and that's true, no matter what I've got coming at me. I don't have to be in control. My entire life, my possessions, my health, my family, my body, everything I have, everything I've gained, everything I've lost, they all belong to Jesus because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And I don't want anything to become, to come between me and my Lord. I just don't. So, aren't there just many different paths up the same mountain? Don't we all just worship the same God? I wish this were so. Brothers and sisters, I wish it were so. But I can't be a decent pastor and tell you that it is. We are called by Jesus to be wise as serpents and gentle as dogs. The world outside and unfortunately sometimes the world inside does everything it can to tell us that we are Lord, that creation is Lord, that Jesus isn't Lord. But it's good news. This is good news. Brothers and sisters, it's hard to know that not all religions worship the same God. But I will tell you, I don't know what God does with anyone outside of Christianity or Judaism. That is above my pay grade. I don't want to be judged. I'll leave that up to God. But I do know this, that for those who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, God has redeemed us. God provides the sacrifice for us. God's love and faithfulness are without end. God's grace can change us in ways we don't expect. The Holy Spirit brings love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness into our lives. There is no other God worthy of worship. There is no other name under which we can be saved. And I didn't want to preach that message, but I can't help it. You are beloved Daughters and sons, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus wants to be your Lord. Take note of this word. God is faithful. Trinity, I invite you to stand and worship God one more time with us in song. As we sing, to God be the glory. Hymn number 98.